In our Torah portions of Archemot and Kedoshim, we go over and review and discuss and learn about the holiness code for the children of Israel. Now, in the Torah portion of Emor, we kind of slide into the holiness code as it pertains to the Levitical priesthood. So we begin with Leviticus chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. It says, Then Adonai said to Moses, Speak to the Kohanim, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, A Kohen, a priest, is not allowed, is not to allow himself to become unclean for the dead among his people. Why is this? Because the Kohanim is set apart for life, set apart for holiness. Death is unnatural. Death was never meant to be, but it came a part of our existence as a result of the fall, as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve. But it's something that should have never been. And because a Kohen deals in life, he doesn't deal in death. And so he is to stay away from these things that are abominable, unnatural, and unclean, which death is a part of that. So it goes on to say, except he can make himself unclean. The exception is he, he, he can um, be around the dead as long as it's for his close relatives, except for his relatives that are nearest to him, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister who is near to him, who, is not, who has no husband. Now, this is talking about that if you are genetically related, literal flesh and blood, you come from the same gene pool, you come from the same family, you are related by blood, you are permitted to make yourself unclean for blood relatives. But you are not to make yourself unclean for um, relatives that are not genetically related to you, this including his wife. And it seems unfair, but his wife is not genetically related to him. And you're saying, well, what about the passage in Genesis that the two will become one flesh? This means they become one flesh spiritually, but it also means on a physical level, they, come, they become one flesh when they have a child because it's both their fleshes combining into one entity, creating a new human being, a new person. And so uh, it says in verse four, but he is not to defile himself a husband among his people, and so profane himself. Now, verse 4 mentions a virgin sister. Now, if a sister is not married, he's allowed to make himself unclean uh, in regards to that sister's death. But if she's married, she is no longer considered a part of that genetic family gene pool because she is no longer affiliated with the tribe she was born in, but she now affiliates with the tribe of her husband. So she becomes one flesh with her husband, so to speak, and is considered to be a part of his uh, family and his lineage, no longer a part of her own in a sense. So that's why verse three is is read the way it is, and it says and it says what it says. So how do we relate this? To the believer in Messiah Yeshua, how do we relate this to something in the Brit Chadasha, something in the Renewed Covenant or the New Testament? Now, what comes to mind is Yeshua's parable regarding the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through uh, 37, it says, Now a certain Torah lawyer stood up to entrap Yeshua, saying, uh, Teacher, what should I do to gain eternal life? And Yeshua said to him, What has been written in the Torah? How do you read it? And he replied, You shall love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Yeshua said to them, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, he said to Yeshua, who is my neighbor? Define neighbor for me, teacher. (laughs) Verse 30 says, Yeshua replied, a certain man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this was a well-known stretch of road uh, that contained a lot of dangers, not only dangers of wild animals, but dangers of bandits. Uh, A lot of people were robbed. A lot of people were murdered on the road to Jericho. Uh, so it was a, a very, um, you know, dangerous highway, to, so, so to speak. So it says, a certain man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers who stripped him, beat him. Then they left, abandoning him half dead. So this guy was just a bloody mess, laying on the ground, not moving. People that walked by really didn't know if he was alive or dead. They, they couldn't tell. He looked dead. Verse 31, by chance, a Kohen, a priest, somebody that was part of the Levitical priesthood, was going, to, was going down uh, that road. But when he saw the man, he passed by on the opposite side. Why? Did he not have compassion for this man? I'm sure he probably did have compassion for this man. But he's probably thinking to myself, he's probably thinking to himself, okay, Leviticus 21 verses 1 through 4, it's the holiness code for the Levites. I'm not to make myself unclean, you know, for the dead. I don't know if this guy is alive or dead. Even if he was alive, I'd be contaminated by his blood because he's injured. But even if he's dead, I would become unclean. Therefore, you know, I would be disqualified for a period of time serving in the temple, serving as a priest in in a capacity for, for a period of time. And, you know, I mean, I, I can't do that. You know, I got to serve the Lord. So he was probably thinking of this Torah passage. And then so it says that uh, likewise a Levite, uh, when he came and saw him, passed by on the opposite side. So we have a Levitical priest, a Kohen, a son of uh, a son descended from Aaron of the priesthood. Then we have a Levite. A Levite is not a descendant of Aaron, so he's not a high priest and not part of the priesthood as far as uh, uh, operating in the the holy place and holy of holies. But he was a Levite. He was part of um, the Levitical uh, tribe, so he had duties. Uh, on the temple precinct, on the temple grounds, he assisted the priest and the high priest and things of this nature. So he too was fearful of becoming disqualified from serving in the tabernacle in any capacity for a period of time by becoming unclean, by coming in contact with this guy on the road that he doesn't even know if he's dead or not. So it says, likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. This Levite as well as the Kohen probably had in mind Leviticus 21, the holiness code for the priest, that he's not to contaminate himself or make himself ritually unclean or impure as a result of a dead person unless it is his close relative as defined in the passage of Leviticus 21, 1 through 4. But it says in verse 33, but a Samaritan. It's interesting because a Samaritan was considered a half-breed. They weren't totally Jewish. They were half Jewish. They were despised by the full-blooded Jew because of them being half-breeds, but not only that, because they believed that their version of Judaism, their version of carrying out the law of Moses was a twist, a perversion. It wasn't pure because they didn't worship on 
the mount in Jerusalem. They worshipped in Samaria, and they had their own holy mountain in Samaria. And we 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 see this this contention between the Samaritan and the Jew in Yeshua's encounter with the woman at the well, trying to change the subject regarding her marital status. Uh, she says, well, wait a second. You Jews say we have to worship on this mountain, but you guys worship on this mountain. Which one is right? So Yeshua says, there's going to be coming a time when you don't worship on any mountain, but you're going to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So it says, but a Samaritan who was traveling came upon him, came upon this Jewish person. He probably, so, he probably could have thought, you know, this, there's a Jew. You know, good riddance to him. He probably deserved what he get because he hates my people. He treats my people with disrespect. You know, he doesn't even consider me Jewish. So, yeah, you know, let the, let the guy die, whatever. But no, it says, but the Samaritan who was traveling came upon him. And when he noticed him, he felt compassion. He's like, you know what? This is a fellow human being. I, I don't care about the animosity between our two peoples. He's, he bleeds red blood like I do. He's a child of God, a creation of God. He's a human being just like I am. So it says he felt compassion upon him. Verse 34, he went up to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring olive oil and wine, which were medicinal at that time. Then setting him on his own animal, he brought him to a lodge for travelers and took care of him. So he's probably losing money here. I mean, this Samaritan was probably some sort of merchant. He was probably on some sort of business trip. He was probably losing days, time, and money, using, you know, using money from his own pocket to pay to nurse this wounded Jewish guy back to health. And it says, then the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever, whatever else you spend upon my return, I will repay you myself. Then Yeshua asked in verse 36, which of these three seems to you a neighbor to the one who is attacked by robbers? And then he, being the Torah lawyer, said, the one who showed him mercy. And Yeshua said to him, go and do the same. So is Yeshua here advocating a breaking of the law, a breaking of the Torah? Is he advocating a Levite or a Kohanim, a priest, to contaminate themselves richly and break the holiness code of Leviticus 21? This is, this is, a, this is a legitimate question here. What's the answer to this? Well, the answer is pekua uh, nefesh. You're like, wait a second, what? Did you just have something caught in your throat? Pekua <laughs> nefesh. Pekuach Nefesh. I even have trouble pronouncing it. Pekuach Nefesh. What does that mean? It means life over law. This is the Jewish principle that commandments can be broken in a life or death situation. In a life or death situation, a Kohanim, a priest, a Levite, can contaminate themselves and make themselves ritually impure in order to save a life. And this was the situation here with, with the guy on the road uh, to, uh, uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, the reason that a Kohanim cannot uh, make himself ritually impure for somebody who is not a relative that dies, because they already have family, they already have people that are going to take care of the funeral arrangements, etc., etc. For a close relative, it may be a fact that there is nobody else in the family that's able to take care of the situation but the Kohen himself because he is a close relative. He might be an only child, therefore he has to, you know, do this for his father or his mother. You know, um, uh, he, he he may only have, um, you know, uh, uh, a son or a daughter. He may only have one child, therefore he's the only one who can take care of the situation. There's no other relatives, no other brothers and sisters that can take care of this situation uh, for his brother. 
You know, he may be one of two brothers, and so maybe his parents are, are, are dead, or, and there's no sister, so there's nobody to bury or take care of this dead brother. So for a close relative, a blood relative, a Kohanim, a Levite, are, are, are permitted to make themselves unclean. But for somebody who is an extended relative or a distant relative or somebody that's a close friend that he's not related to, he cannot contaminate himself or make himself unclean because there's probably other people that can take care of the funeral arrangements in regards to this. And so it's unnecessary for him to make himself unclean on this account. But here we have on the road to Jericho, this Good Samaritan story. There's nobody to help this guy. They don't know if the guy is alive or dead. So they are. It's a life. It's a life over law situation. It's a pekuach nefesh situation where he is permitted to make himself unclean in order to save this guy's life because there's nobody else to do it. Now examples of this, where um, people are permitted to break the law. You remember how Yeshua says, "Doesn't the priests themselves violate Sabbath every you know every Sabbath? Why? Because a priest works on Sabbath." They sacrifice, they offer up offerings, and you know they take care of the tabernacle. But that is their job. That's what they're called to do. That's their inheritance. So they're permitted to break the Sabbath by working on the Sabbath because that's what God called them to do. Another example is first responders, medical personnel, police and military. Why? Because, you know, accidents don't take a break because it's Shabbat. Enemies don't attack out of respect for us because we're observing the Sabbath. You'll see in Israel and throughout Israel's history that Israel was attacked on high holy days, which are considered Sabbaths, and Sabbaths themselves because they're wanting the Jews to violate their own Sabbath. So first responders, medical personnel, police, military are permitted to break the Sabbath by working on the Sabbath. Why? Because these people with these professions deal with life or death situations. They deal with pechuach nefesh situations. And even Yeshua himself gives an example where it is permitted to work or break the Sabbath in order to save a life. In Luke chapter 14, starting with the first one, it says, Now when Yeshua went into the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees to eat a meal on Shabbat, they were watching him closely. And there before him was a man swollen with fluid. So Yeshua said to the Torah lawyers and Pharisees, is it permitted to heal on Shabbat or not? But they kept silent. So Yeshua took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. Then he said uh, to them, Which one of you with a son or an ox who's fallen into a well on Shabbat would not immediately pull him out? You're breaking, a sab you're breaking the Sabbath because it is laborious. It is work to pull an ox or a son out of a well. Right? Verse 6 says, And they could not reply to these things, because they themselves knew, the Torah lawyers and the Pharisees knew, knew this principle of pekuach nefesh, life over law, the permission to break a command in order to save a life. Now, like Yom Kippur, that is the Day of Atonement. That is the day we are commanded to fast and abstain from food. But even the rabbis say, if somebody is sick and, 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 and it's a life or death situation on Yom Kippur, you are permitted to, to eat on Yom Kippur. Not only are you permitted to eat, you are even permitted to eat something unkosher, unclean, if it's going to save your life. 
So they even implement this life over law situation. We've seen this life over law situation also during World War II, where good people will lie. Lying is wrong. Lying is a sin. Bottom line. No, no, no buts about it. No two ways about it. But they lied in order to save the life of Jewish people. They lied to the Nazis, lied to the Gestapo. Saying, oh, no, no, there's no Jews around here. When knowing full well they had a Jew hiding in their haystack in the barn. They had a Jew, you know, hunkered down somewhere in the basement or the attic. So this was a life or law situation. And they were saving a life by lying, by breaking a commandment. So though the Levite and the priest would have become ritually unclean by coming into contact with an injured, possibly dead person, and thus be disqualified for a time in serving in the temple, he was obligated to help his fellow man. This is Pechuach Nefesh, life over law. Now again, bringing this back to our opening text of Leviticus chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, it's very specific who a priest can become unclean for. But rabbis say if a Levite and another person and uh, we're on a desert island, and they were the only two on that island, that if the guy dies, that the priest would be obligated to bury the dead man and make himself unclean because of the dead man. Why? Because this is another example of Pekhuach uh, Nefesh, life over law. Because the rabbis and sages believe that one of the greatest mitzvahs, one of the greatest commandments, one of the greatest good deeds you can perform for somebody is somehow assisting the dead, burying them, performing a funeral, you know, whatever, taking care of a dead person. Why? Because this is a good deed, a good act that can't be reciprocated. It can't be paid back by the recipient. The person's dead. They can't repay this good deed. That's why it's considered the greatest commandment is because it is a good deed performed that's going to have no uh, uh, rep uh, no um, payback for it, no, no reward for it, but the reward itself of doing the commandment, doing the mitzvah, doing the good deed. So this life over law principle, I think it's very interesting that these, these things of, of the Torah, how they are related to the uh, gospel accounts and the life of Yeshua, we just have to only understand the Old Testament, the, the original covenant, if you will, the, the Torah, the Tanakh, and understand the Hebraic and Jewish mindset and traditions behind these passages and the interpretations and how it applies to the Brit Chadesha, the renewed covenant, the, the, the New Testament. It, it opens up so much and help us to, helps us to understand Yeshua, what he did, what he said, why he said and did the things that he did. Uh, so, guys, thanks so much for listening. Go out there and have a great day. And just to remind you, uh, please find and subscribe the Rabbinic Pastor's Pulpit, which you are hearing this on. Uh, also, the Christopher Shoemaker YouTube channel, which this is also on. And also the Rabbinic Pastor's Podcast, which uh, is, is a, a, um, a chronological uh, expositional study on the Bible. We're still in the book of Genesis, so uh, check that out and subscribe to that. And check out www.abrahamsdescendants.com. The homepage is updated daily, and there's a lot of great tabs and articles that you can learn a lot from. And uh, please subscribe to these things. Please share these links and um, uh, help build this audience. Thanks so much. Shalom and God bless.